0: Good morning, Oakwood family. Welcome to week two of our uh, series called Christmas Messengers as we're talking about the angel accounts of uh, at Christmas. So before we get into the word this morning, I want to uh, just mention a couple of things. First of all, today is Rusty's birthday, so he probably doesn't want us to tell anyone, but it's Rusty's birthday today. So, so you know, when you're Rusty and you're a big deal like him, you know, we get Leanna Crawford to come in to come lead worship for you on your birthday, so no, but uh, yeah, truly uh, take advantage of, uh, of coming tonight, the opportunity to hear her, uh, you know, she just got a, obviously great talents from the Lord, but a great ministry heart too, and I think it'll be a real uh, great addition to your Christmas season. It's also a great time to invite somebody, maybe you've never invited someone to church, or you're waiting for the right time, hey, buy them a ticket and invite them to come tonight and, and be a part of that. I think it's going to be a really, really awesome awesome evening together tonight. I uh, appreciate all those uh, that participated in Flannel Sunday, all my flannel folks. It's good to see you out there. And of course, we ordered the right weather, you know, told God, hey, we need it cold and damp. And uh, it's cold and damp. I mean, it's still cold and damp. It was really cold and damp this morning about 6 a.m. But uh, but yeah, I appreciate doing that. And it's just good to be reminded that we can have fun in God's church, right? And uh, it's joyous to be a part of God's family. Um, so, Glad that you are here this morning. Uh, If you want to follow along in the scripture this morning, you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 1. That's where our main text is this morning. Um, If you don't have a Bible and you have a phone or a tablet, you are welcome to use that uh, device this morning. Just download the Oakwood app. You can do that through your app store. Just search Oakwood Enid. And uh, when you get the app open, Sermon Notes is right there. You can download all the scriptures and all the notes. There's even a a way for you to take your own notes in there and save those for later. So uh, we just want you to engage the Word of God this morning. The main thing is that you hear from Him, that He would be high and lifted up and first, best, most, and highest in your life. Um, And so that's why we gather. That's why we are here, to grow and to worship Him. As we started this series last week, just just a little um, backtrack here to just remind us as we're talking about angels and the the reason this this series is called Christmas Messengers is that angels, you know, they're these spiritual beings and they're celestial beings and God created them. There's so much much mystique behind them and we, we talked about that last week, but the main thing that I want us to understand is that angels are messengers from God. And as we, as we see Scripture, they're always popping up their noses in the strangest of places and sometimes the most precarious of positions. Uh, we, we see them at the resurrection of Jesus sitting on the tombstone, right? And we, we, we see them coming about all the time, but in the, in the Christmas accounts, and as we get into the New Testament, uh, there's four occasions where angels are right here at the beginning of the New Testament talking to us about Christmas. The word angel actually means messenger, and so these are holy, divine messengers from God. Last week, we had the angel Gabriel introduced to us. And he was coming, if you remember the story from last week, he was coming to an old priest by the name of Zechariah. Today, very interestingly enough, we have that same angel. It's Gabriel. Some six months later, coming to a young lady who's in the little town of Nazareth. Let's read the text this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, now we notice something right there in these first couple of verses that just kind of pops out as you're reading this. You're like, wait, it kind of makes a big deal. It's like it's a virgin pledged to be married. And and then it says again, the virgin's name was Mary. So this virginity thing, it's a big deal here. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. Some translations use the word perplexed there. She was greatly perplexed at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. A lot of information there, a lot of meaning there in this angelic message. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Some translations there say nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So what can we today learn from this angelic exchange Just as in all these angelic exchanges, there's a message from the Lord and there's a response from people. And and specifically this morning, how did Mary respond? Mary, at great risk, chose to say yes to God. We're going to be talking about the risk of that. Mary, at a great risk, said yes and chose to believe and to trust and almighty God. It's hard for us to fathom this because of the way we, we do marriages and engagements today, but understanding and going back to the culture at that time, it's important that you understand how it worked. This is how it worked. A man and a woman would come together, and many times we've talked about this and studied this before in sermon series, that, that when a, a man and a woman would, would come together, a lot of times they were called arranged marriages because it was most important that you get the father's approval of the marriage then they would come together in this what we would call today engagement but it was actually a step further in meaning back then they would come to uh, in this period called betrothal they were there betrothed and that means they were absolutely committed to one another and if you were to break the betrothal period in this time it was actually called and considered divorce Now here's what's interesting about that period. Usually it lasted somewhere, as most scholars believe, between 12 to 18 months, but for most about a year. What happened oftentimes was some uh, it allowed for a period of adjustment for the family. Maybe maybe that daughter that they were losing was out in the fields and gleaning wheat, and now they lost a a, a solid wheat gleaner from the family. So this gave them a period of time to maybe hire some help or to v- develop someone else within the family. But there were all these just adjustments happening: socioeconomic adjustments. There there were uh, social adjustments within the family. But during this betrothal period, they were absolutely committed to one another. They just weren't able to consummate that marriage. They were also to be living separately at the time and to keep themselves pure before the Lord. And so it was during that betrothal time. And that's why the text says that what it does in in, in verse 27, to a virgin pledged. To be married. The the text is being very specific here. It's a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. They had not come together yet because they were in that year to 18-month betrothal period. And the angel went there and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Her initial response is, I'm a little perplexed by this, this angelic visit, but. And then the angel shares all of this information. And she finds out I'm I'm gonna be pregnant. Not only that, I'm going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and we need to understand what that meant in the culture at that time. You see, if you were in this betrothal period and you wound up pregnant, there were a lot of repercussions. There were a lot of repercussions for you as a young lady that they knew that you had not been together with your husband yet. For you to show up pregnant and you have to kind of go go here with what mary was going through at the time think about it folks i mean what's mary what's mary going to say it's like dude mary like you're showing oh it's from the holy spirit it's god did it to me you know i mean and and sure you know your response to that yeah i mean we laugh about that but think about this in that time period no one's going to accept that word right yeah, an angel told me, it's like, sure, Mary, we know how these things work, and that's not how it works. And you would bring shame upon your family. You would bring shame upon your village. You would be, bring shame upon the person that you were betrothed to. There were so many consequences, and spiritual consequences, and social costs. And so it is with very great risk that Mary would say yes to the angelic messenger. Because really, if you think about it, it really boiled down to a couple of things here. It really only boiled down to a couple scenarios. Either, think about this, this makes sense, okay? Either Mary went and got pregnant outside of Joseph during this betrothal period, or. Or perhaps Joseph did the dishonorable thing. And during this period where they were to stay separately physically from each other, they consummated the marriage before it was time. And either way, it was risky. And either way, it was wrong. It was going against God's law. It was going against the plan. It was going against the culture. Some people, when this happened, were put out of their families forever. They were shunned from society. And remember, this happens in Nazareth. Nazareth is a small town, folks. Nazareth is just a few hundred people. You didn't hide something like this in a place like Nazareth. It's risky. And yet, Mary says yes. Now, if you just read these Christmas texts and you just read them straight through, sometimes I think you can just breeze through things and you kind of miss things sometimes. And, and, and you know, if, we, if you were here last week and you remember what we talked about with the story of Zechariah, you remember Zechariah's response to the angel's message, and then you remember what happened, right? He was mute, right? He couldn't speak until this came to pass, until the time that the baby was born. And we read kind of the rest of the story last week of, about Zechariah. But I want you to notice the difference of the response between Zechariah and Mary, because they both respond to the angel with a question. Zechariah's response is found in in verse 18, Luke chapter one, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can? How can? And Mary's response in verse 34 of that same chapter is, how will this be? Do you see the difference? To Zechariah, it was like, how can this be? How, how, how can this happen? I mean, my wife, if you remember the story from last week, my wife, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old. I mean, she's beyond her childbearing years. It's like this, it just can't happen. And so how can this happen is Zechariah, the priest's response. But the young, the young lady from Nazareth, her response is how will this happen? How would this be? Because I am a virgin. She wants to know how it's going to happen, but she takes this angel at his word. And Mary's response to Gabriel, even with all of the risks, is to say yes to God. Mary, at great risk, chose to say yes to God. And when you say yes to God, I want to share three things this morning. When you say yes to God, it's it's yes, it's Y-E-S. Saying yes to God means what? The first thing I would offer you this morning is for the why of yes, is that it means that we are yielding. It means that we are yielding ourselves to God. When you yield yourself, to yield means to give way to something that is more important. It reminded me of the hymn. Do you remember the old hymn? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. You see, Mary had to, chose, had to, had to choose to yield herself to God's plan. It, it's like, you know, when we're driving a vehicle and we come to a yield sign, right? When you come to the yield sign, that means that you are to stop and to not progress, and you're to give the right of way to someone else. Many times crossing that intersection. When you come to the yield, you look and you yield yourself and and many times you pause at least and sometimes you don't just roll through it, you actually come to a stop because you are to yield yourself to someone who has the right of way. When you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, when you are a true follower and a Christian, then it means that our Heavenly Father always has the right of way. And let's be honest, that's not how we like to live sometimes. In today's culture, in the United States of America, you know, we're a self-made people. Oh, really, are we? Go back to the foundation and look. But, you know, we're the self-made people, and we'll, we'll have it our way, you know? And, and, and parts of this scripture are just outdated, and, and, and God didn't really mean what he was saying, and, and we try to create our own way, and we don't yield to God. We don't yield to God. Mary is a great example of someone who chose to yield their will and their ways. She yielded her soul to God and chose to walk in his ways and to trust him. What are some ways that when you say yes to God, when he comes to you and says, hey, this might be a little bit of risk here, are you yielding yourself to his will and his ways in your life? Mary is a great example of someone who, yielded themselves to god even when there was a great risk and even when it might may cost her dearly then we get to the e of the yes so we have yielding and then we have the e the e, when you when you see the e and yes i want you to think of expecting when you see that e that e i want you to think of expecting mary accepts and believes the words that god has spoken to her through this angel messenger She believes him and she expects God's plan to come into fruition for it to be as the angel said. Look at what she said at the very end of our passage. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. She was expecting for God to show up. She was expecting that she would see him work. And so many times if we just look for God, if we seek after him, we will be able to see him work in other people's lives as well as our own. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus, the Son of God, spoke. And near the end of that sermon in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We're reminded even back in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah the prophet, in chapter 29, verse 13, he says this about God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Expecting God to show up. You see, this is the posture of a believer saying yes to the Lord, to expect God to speak, to expect Him to act, to expect Him to guide us, to expect Him to answer prayer, to expect to to hear from His Holy Spirit leading us in our lives. But we need to remind ourselves, too, as Christians, that God will never contradict Himself. He's never going to lead you into sinfulness. He's never, he's never going to lead you to do something that goes against his word. God is a God who has a plan. He has a way in life. He lays out that way, and he is always faithful to it. I wonder sometimes as Christians if we lose the expectation. I was thinking back about this in, in, in the Christmas season, in the spirit of Christmas. Do you remember what it was like? When you were a child, for, to be waiting and expecting for Christmas morning, do you remember the excitement? I mean, you, sometimes you couldn't sleep and you try to go to bed early. In fact, mom and dad would like for you to go to bed early for a lot of variety of reasons. But, uh, you know, you were so excited that sometimes you're just so just, just spun up about it. And, but you were expecting, you were expecting something and there was excitement because of the expectation of what was going to happen on Christmas morning, Right? There might be presents. There might be milk and cookies that had bites and drinks out of them. There's all these traditions, and it's fun, and it's family, and maybe you have traditions. Maybe you sing Christmas carols, or, or maybe you play Christmas music in the background, or maybe you read the nativity story. But whatever it is, and whatever your tradition is, is we have these things, and it leads to this time of excitement and enjoyment in this season of expectation. I think sometimes, sometimes... We lose our expectation of God. We don't come to God anymore expecting him to do great and mighty works. Expecting that we might see something miraculous. Expecting that he might actually use me in a supernatural way for his kingdom's work. Is that even, is that even possible? That God could have a calling on me like he had on Mary? That might be risky, but that he's, he's challenging me to say yes to him? Are you living a faith right now with expectation? I think sometimes we lose it, folks. Something to think about this Christmas season. What is God calling us to? And if we say yes, we do it with yielding. We do it with expectation. And then you get to the S. And the S might not be what you think it should be. When you see the S and yes and you say yes to God, I want you to think of stillness. Stillness. That, that is contradictory to this season that we've created today. I mean, this is hustle and hustle and hustle. You know, there's even songs about it. We shared, I shared it in a Christmas series last year about haul out the holly and, you know, put up the tree before my spirit falls again. And it's just like, we need a little Christmas right this very minute, you know, camels on the windows and, you know, it's just, it's just hurry, 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 hustle, 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 go, 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 go. We do this with the faith sometimes. We, we actually maybe preach or encourage this in God's church. Is that, hey, you need to make it happen, right? You do what you can do so God does what he can do. You gotta do your part, right? And there's, and there's truth to that, that, that we should you know go with God and that we should do what God has asked us to do and be obedient to him. And that sometimes we need to go, right? I mean, you, you've probably heard that before, that God is a go God because G-O is in his name, right? And yet, sometimes we find throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout the Bible, these pockets where we're called to be still. To be still. And sometimes I think it's right and appropriate to be in stillness before God. And sometimes I think we've lost the ability to do that. It takes too much time, not in our rhythm we got to produce. we got to produce. we got to do the next thing. And we don't sit in the stillness before God. Do you, do you remember this, this, this passage, Psalm 46, verse 10, this verse? He says, being God, says, be still and know that I am God. I mean, if you read that verse, you're like, he could have just said, know that I am God. But he didn't. What did he he lead up to that with? He said, hey, be still and know that I am God. Maybe there's something to the stillness. Maybe there's a depth of relationship with Jesus Christ that only happens when you are still before him. And I'm not preaching to you this morning from some place where, oh, Eric's got this down He's still before the Lord a lot. But I'll tell you what, I've had two really good spiritual friends of mine this fall, completely separate of each other, don't even know each other. Both tell me, you need to be still and quiet before the Lord and spend time with the Lord. You're too busy. And I wonder if it's not only to maybe correct our hurry sickness, but that God through His Son, Jesus Christ, has something special for us when we are in the stillness, the period of waiting where we are close to God and in the stillness waiting before Almighty God. I think Mary, to survive her pregnancy in Nazareth, had to find those times of being still before God. Maybe she clung to verses like Psalm 46.10. It reminded me of the the story of Elijah. Do you remember the prophet Elijah? I mean, just to boil it down, it's found in 1 Kings uh, chapters 18 and 19. He he really, I mean, in essence, if you read the passage, um, many scholars will admit that he was suicidal. He was having a mental health crisis as a prophet of God. And he felt like everyone was, if you remember this, everyone was against him. Everyone was chasing him. Everyone was wanting to kill him. I mean, the king and his wife were coming after him. He felt like everyone was coming after him. And he just got so forlorn with all the circumstances of his life that he ends up running and running and running until he's exhausted. And he holds up in a cave on the side of a mountain. And God speaks to his prophet Elijah and says, Hey, I'm going to come by and I want to pay you a visit and I want you to see me so you are encouraged. I want you to see me, and I'm gonna pass by, and I want you to be encouraged just by my presence in your life. Do you remember this? In 1 Kings 19, the first thing that happens is there's this great wind in the text that says there. This wind actually split rocks, okay? So we had wind like two Friday nights ago. You remember that wind? I was at a playoff football game, and I will never, I mean, the goalposts are like lean. I mean, that was some wind, right? No, this is wind that splits rocks, folks. This is some major wind. Powerful, representing God, right? It's just all this power and all this might. He's got wind that'll come out of him, just split rocks open. But then it says, but God was not in the wind. Then it says there was a great earthquake. The kind of earthquake that shakes the ground and the earth so much that you went off the face of the earth. If you experience an earthquake, it's kind of ooh sometimes. And the earthquakes that maybe you've experienced here in Oklahoma are not like some of the eight on the Richter scale earthquakes where you feel literally like the ground beneath your feet is going to split open and suck you into the earth. There was a great earthquake, again, showing God's power and omnipotence over all. And then the text says, but God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. And then it says there was a great fire that came down from heaven and just consumed. It was like a furnace. You could just feel the heat from it. Just all the power of this fire coming down. You think, well, that there, God's appearing to him now. It says, but God was not in the fire. And then while Elijah is in the cave, he summoned to come to the front of the cave. And then the text says, and and translators have a really hard time translating the wording here because it's only used in this one place, in the Hebrew, in the the original language of the Old Testament. But most scholars have landed on this. Then there was a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. And that is how God showed himself to the prophet Elijah and in this season of Christmas maybe that's what we need from God more than anything is the stillness to be in his presence and to hear from him you know many times we call this season these weeks leading up to Christmas Advent Advent gives us this definition of waiting in anticipation for something to happen. But in that waiting, there is to be ceasing. Did you realize that was the spirit of Advent? Is that we would cease from activity to focus on anticipation in this waiting season for the coming Messiah, the incarnation, Jesus, the Son of God, coming into the world. In the stillness, And the peace of his presence, I'm sure Mary had to spend much time there to make it through in the months ahead. And I want to encourage you that if you haven't found yourself there in the presence of Jesus, maybe you need to experience his presence this Christmas season. And the best way, if you were to come to me and say, how, 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 it's not the Christmas music, it's not the parties, it's not the presents. I would say, in stillness. Just you and Jesus. Be still and know that he is God. You know, Christmas is about Emmanuel. One of the names given to Jesus by Isaiah the prophet. Emmanuel, and you know what that means. That name of Jesus means God with us. And yes, truly, at Christmas time, it is important for us to remember that God is with us. But this also calls for us to give a response. And our response should be us with God. Yes, Emmanuel, God with us, but our response is us with God. And it starts by us saying, yes, yes. To God, When he comes to us, when he asks of us in his word, when he comes to us and you feel like there's this challenge coming from God, this step of faith that he wants me to take, and it's going to take all of the faith that I can muster to trust him in this way, he wants you to say yes. Yes, God with us. But us with God is choosing to say yes to what God wants and has for your life